Good morning. Welcome again to Kings Avenue Baptist Church. We are so thrilled that you have decided to join us in worship today. Uh, as I mentioned before, we are continuing our uh, series on dying declarations, the seven things that Jesus said from the cross. We're in week three, which means we've already talked about the time that Jesus uh, spoke to God about the guards that were crucifying him and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. These men had uh, crucified him. They had uh, nailed him to the cross, beaten him, spit on him, mocked him, pulled out his beard, drove the crown of thorns into his head, all of this. And instead of seeking their judgment and punishment, Jesus took that judgment and punishment upon himself and sought their forgiveness. Uh, Last week, we talked about uh, the time that Jesus spoke to the thief and said, today you will be with me in paradise. What a beautiful promise of hope and eternity and salvation that that dying declaration was. And we see the, the, the similarities between uh, the thief and the woman at the well and the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, each of them having individual, um, you know, kind of ideas of who Jesus was and their initial interaction with him. But through their interaction with him, coming to recognize that he is Lord and through that knowledge and confession, they all experience salvation. And we know that for us, that we that salvation is ours when we recognize who Jesus is. Today, we're going to be exploring what Jesus said to his mother and to the apostle John from the cross. It's a very important message for us today because there is a message for us and then also a calling for us that we must receive and then also act. And so I would ask that as we start this time together, that we pray and that we give our hearts to the Lord, that we uh, give our time to him, but also that we uh, give our ears to him and that he is able to speak to us through his word. But then also we recognize the calling that he has for each of us, the responsibility that each of us must uh, act in and walk in uh, from here on out. So let's just take a moment together and pray uh, to start this time of, of being in the word. Uh, Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, from the cross, Jesus speaks and that when he speaks, we can hear Lord and those words can edify us. They can build us up. They can give us hope and they can also challenge us. Lord, that is what this message is about today. There is building up and edification. There is hope that Jesus brings through his message, but also a responsibility that he gives each of us. My prayer, Lord, today is that you would speak to us in that way that we hear and are built up, that we are encouraged by what Jesus says, but then also that we walk in the responsibility and calling that he is giving us. We surrender our hearts. We surrender our fears and concerns. We surrender our distractions, God, and we focus on you. We choose to focus on you in this time, and we thank you that you speak to us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we have mentioned uh, through this series, it is very important for us to remember what Jesus has experienced at this point in the story. He is on the cross. He has been beaten. His beard has been plucked out. As I mentioned, he's been whipped by the cat of nine tails. He's been beaten and abused. He is beyond recognition. And from the cross, he speaks. He's naked in front of everyone. And if you can imagine his mother and others are watching him, looking on at him. And, you know, what could his mother have been experiencing? You know, at birth, when he was born, it says that she cherished all of those things. She pondered all of the things that were going on in her heart. And think about the attitude or the emotion that Mary would have been experiencing. 
having watched him grow up, having seen him grow from a baby into a young boy and then into a young man. And here, uh, after three and a half years of ministry, he is being executed. He is being crucified, dying for the sins of his people. You know, he was 100% God. He was the son of God, yet he was still her son as well. And so as a mother, you know that she's experiencing emotional suffering. She's watching her son physically suffer. And I believe she was even experiencing that with him. And as Jesus looks down and sees his mother, I believe that he looks down with great compassion. He must have seen what she was going through, the emotion that she was uh, just racked with as she is watching him suffer. And we see in John chapter 19, his response and compassion for her. We see John 19, 25 through 27. It says that, but standing by the cross, Uh, of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. So as Jesus looks down and he sees Mary and he has compassion on her, He feels her pain. He sees her suffering and he wants to make sure that she is taken care of. He has this compassion for he feels with her. And he says to her that she is now the mother of John and John is her son. Now at this time in Mary's life and certainly in the the time of uh, John's life, it's not about her taking on the responsibility of caring for John. Rather, it's the opposite. He is saying to Mary, John will be your caretaker from this point forward. Why is this relevant to us? It's because when Jesus looks down at the cross, he looks down at us with that same compassion and feeling that he had for his mother. He looks down and he, he wants us to know that he sees us right where we are. So where you are this morning, Jesus sees you where you are and he has compassion for you. And he wants you to know that he will meet your needs and that he loves you uh, exceedingly. And we see this in Isaiah chapter 49. There's this wonderful picture of the compassion that God has for his children. It says, uh, they shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road and my highway shall be raised up. Behold, these come from afar and And behold, uh, these from the north and from the west and from the land of Syene, sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. We see these beautiful promises uh, delivered through the prophet Isaiah. He first starts out by saying that we shall not hunger or thirst and that there would be no sun or scorching wind that would strike us. What a beautiful promise of protection and provision uh, from the Lord. It says that he will lead us by springs of water and that he will guide us. To me, that is such a beautiful uh, reminder of Psalm 23, that the Lord is our shepherd, that we shall not want, that he will lead us beside those quiet waters, that he will take us to those place of calm and good and peaceful pastures, that he will make sure that we will be at peace. I love the next part where it says that he will make our mountains a road. 
And to me, what that says is that our difficulty, the things that we experience that we might define as barriers in this life, that God would become, or he would make those things a roadway, that they would be the path that God uses to bring our benefit. I think about what's going on in our world today, and many of us are probably uh, able and easily uh, able to identify some mountains, some barriers, some things that might be uh, weighing us down as we look ahead uh, into the weeks and months uh, of what might be ahead of us. But I think we need to be encouraged. No, I know we need to be encouraged by the words of God through the prophet Isaiah, that those mountains become the pathway, that they become a roadway, that God will bring his blessing through those difficult times. And in fact, those difficult times become the ways that God brings his blessing. And it tells me that the, the words of Romans eight twenty eight that God will bring together uh, all things to the good of those who believe and are called according to his purpose. That brings, uh, you know, that, that just brings truth into that promise that he has spoken. And then later in Corinthians, where he says that God will not let us experience a, a test beyond what we can bear. Rather, he will help us in those moments. And because of that, Isaiah says that we can sing for joy because of that. We can exalt. We can break forth into singing. You see, we have reason to rejoice and praise the Lord because he has comforted us. We have reason to celebrate this morning that even in the midst of a difficulty, even in the midst of challenging times, we are overwashed. We are overcome with the compassion that God has for each and every one of us. My prayer is that in your living room or wherever you might be listening or watching this, that you feel that compassion, that you feel Jesus just embracing you with his spirit, the warmth of his touch, the the closeness of his connection that only comes because of him. And that you would in this time take the opportunity to praise and worship him, to lift up your hands and magnify him. Because even though the world might be uh, experiencing difficulty, God is still God. He is on the throne and he has compassion on us. He knows where we are and we can praise him. It goes on and it says that, that Zion, uh, you know, basically the children of God, they say that they are rejected. They're experiencing a feeling of being forgotten or neglected or even feeling forsaken. And God responds and he says, can a nursing mother forget her child? Is it possible for a nursing mother to not have compassion on the son of her womb? And it's an important lesson for us to remember uh, because what he's saying is a mother loves their child so dearly. He says, even though it might be possible for a mother to forget, he says, I will never forget you because I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. What he's saying is that the the love of the mother or a, a mother's love is not even in comparison to the heart of love that the heavenly father has for each and every one of us. When we look at this, we see an Old Testament application as well as a New Testament application for our own lives. In the Old Testament, you know, we can think about that ancient, um, you know, practice of tattooing. Think about it that way, that he's saying that I would never forget you because I have engraved you and your name in the palm of my hands. That uh, a parent might say that to a child, that your life, your work, everything about you is ever before me. That in my hands are written the love that I have for you. In the New Testament, obviously, we can look to Christ and we see a beautiful application of this, uh, of this scripture saying that we have been engraved in the palms of his hands. And that engraving happened through the nails that pierced his hands and held him on the cross. And we can see the demonstration of the length that Jesus went to to show his great love for us. 
What a wonderful picture of the promise of his compassion to know that he sees us where we are, to know that he loves us no matter what, to know that he is with us and will take care of us. You know, when we think about this from a provision standpoint, you know, Jesus, we see that he is providing for us eternally. He says to Mary, I see you, I know your need, and I want you to be taken care of. And so she puts her under the care of John the Apostle. And so I think for us, what we need to know is that even in these times of where there might be uncertainty, God has provided for our eternity and he will provide for us from a physical need as well. In Matthew chapter six, uh, we see this very familiar passage. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, uh, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not your life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour of span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much, how much, or will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father, he knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is his own trouble. We go back to the beginning of that passage where Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. I've told you many times that the devil knows that the ways that he can attack me is through worry and anxiety, getting me to worry about the health of my family, getting me to worry about my own circumstance. And I'm certain that I'm not alone in that. But we all must take heart. We, mo- we all have to hear these words of Jesus and, and really live them out. Do not be anxious about your life. He says, don't worry about what to eat. Don't worry about what to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. This seems, you know, especially relevant as we look at grocery store shelves that are empty uh, in, in many different scenarios. But let us take those words to heart and know that we should not worry. What are we told to do? He says, consider the birds of the air. They do not sow. They do not reap, but God, the father, he makes sure that they are fed. This week, uh, Melanie and I had the wonderful opportunity to go to North Carolina, even just for a couple of days. And I told Melanie as we were driving home this week that I just a few times reflected at the stillness of nature in the midst of the chaos of the world and the various things that we see on uh, news media and social media. And the, I'm sure many of you are being inundated at work or have questions of your own on how uh, your own companies or families might be dealing with uh, what's happening with coronavirus. But as I think about that, I sat and reflected and there was this moment on Wednesday morning where we were, it was our last morning we were eating breakfast and we said, we want to eat breakfast outside and the birds just serenaded us as we ate. These birds are singing. They, they aren't worried. They aren't concerned because they know that their provision comes from God. And so I would encourage you in this moment, you know, the Bible says that we need to be still and know that he is God. So what do you need to do to be still? What do you need to do to just remove yourself from the distraction so you can hear the voice of God speaking? 
we must remember that he is God, that he is all powerful. He has overcome and our hope is him is in him. So how can we walk in that way? It says that, you know, there's so much, obviously so much negativity going on in the world and certainly skepticism or doubt and things where we can just be inundated with worry. But Jesus gives the answer and he is the answer. He says, don't pursue the things of the world. Don't pursue the things that the world pursues, rather pursue him, pursue his kingdom, live in his righteousness. And all of those other things would be added unto us. So we must be like the bird. We must walk in and rejoice in God's kingdom in his righteousness, and he will meet our needs. We all have to realize that we can have that peace of the compassion that God has for us and the provision that he brings. Reminds me of one of the names of God. You know, a couple of years ago, we did a series on the names of God. And one of the names that we studied was Jehovah Jireh. There's this old song that we used to sing at the church that I grew up in. It said, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, your grace is sufficient for me. Uh, but when I think about it, and we need to understand where that, that name of God came from. It came from, uh, you know, when Abraham was challenged to sacrifice Isaac. And the name itself means that on the mountain of the Lord, God will provide or the Lord will provide. And what happened was as Abraham was taking Isaac to the mountain and he was prepared to sacrifice him, even with his hand in the air, the knife in his hand, ready to come down and sacrifice his son. An angel tells Abraham to stop because in the thicket was a lamb. And Abraham gives this name to God and says that on the mountain of the Lord, he will provide. And I think we all must understand that, you know, God has provided for us physically. He will provide for us physically, but spiritually there is a greatest provision that's, that is, that is made available to us on a mountain, on the hill called Calvary, God provided a lamb. It was through his son, Jesus. And the fact that Jesus came to this earth, he lived a perfect life. He never sinned and he died on the cross. All of this series that we're going through these dying declarations, they speak to the hope of salvation that we have because of Jesus's sacrifice that in the midst of any storm, he is the one that brings peace and that we can believe, or when we believe we will have that everlasting life that we would not perish, but we would be with him forever in heaven forever and ever. So in speaking to Mary, Jesus gives us these messages. He wants us to know that he has compassion on us. He wants us to know that he sees us where we are. He wants us to know that he sees that suffering that we are experiencing. And he wants us to know that he will meet our need, both physically and spiritually, that he has come to relieve that suffering. I, would, I want you to know, I want you to hear from Jesus this morning that you are not alone, that you are not rejected. You have been engraved in his palms. And all you have to do to receive or walk in that hope is believe that Christ is Lord, that you would seek his kingdom, that you would seek his righteousness and that he would provide for you. Now, after Jesus spoke to Mary and said, Mary, this is your son. He looks to John, the apostle, and he says, this is your mother. And as I mentioned, this wasn't about her responsibility to take care of John. Rather, it was about John's responsibility to take care of of Mary. And the message that we have to realize is that while Jesus looks down and, and says to us that he has compassion for us, when Jesus looks down and says that he loves us, when he looks down and says that we have been engraved in the palms of his hands, that the same message is true for each and every person that we might see in this world, the people in our neighborhoods, the people in our families, the people that we work with, Christ has the same compassion on them. 
He looks down from the cross and sees them the same way that he sees us in need of a savior. More than once in scripture, it says that God, it's God's will that no one should perish, that all should come to repentance and that everyone would be saved. You see, the Lord sees the condition of this world and he has compassion on every person that we interact with. And he calls us to fulfill his role. You see, when Jesus looked at Mary, he said, I'm not going to be physically able to provide for her because he knew that he was heading up into uh, the, the kingdom of heaven to be at God's right hand. And so he tells John, you have to fulfill my role on this earth. And he says to us as the church, that as he looks at this world and he has compassion on them, knowing that they need the, they need to know the truth of who he is. He looks to us, those of us who are believers and says, you have to fulfill my role on this earth and bringing hope to them. He has compassion. It says in Matthew chapter nine, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few and therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. Jesus, he looks down from the cross and he sees the world. He sees that they are harassed and helpless, that they are under attack. They have nowhere to go. They're not sure how to handle the situation. They are powerless. They're stressed and oppressed by the situation, their own circumstance. They're probably beaten down and burdened and just tired of battling, powerless to change their own condition. It says that they were sheep without a shepherd. To me, that means that they're lost. They don't even know it. The eternity that they are heading to, they're not even aware of what that is uh, look, going to be for them. They're unable to find their own way home. They're easy pickings for a ravenous wolf and they're out in the world without protection. But there is hope, even though the situation for them might seem helpless, even though they are helpless, the situation is not hopeless because he says to the disciples that they need to pray that God would send laborers into the harvest field. It's important for us to understand that the the harvest is white. It is ready to be brought into the storehouse. And Jesus says to them, he's challenging them that they would be those laborers. He's challenging us that we would be those laborers as we go out into the harvest field. As it said in Isaiah, we can't look at this mountain and think that it's impossible to overcome, but trust that God will make this mountain into a pathway. When we look at uh, this truth about God, we need to know that the world around us needs to know this truth. That just as much as we have been engraved on his hands, they have been engraved on his hands as well. This is a message that our world needs to know now more than ever. Certainly as we understand that God will be coming home or he will be coming back again, this urgency, we must go out into the world with urgency. In scripture, we see this concept of the storehouse and the harvest field. The storehouse is the image of the temple. It is the image of the church. The harvest field is the world. And what we need to realize is that the harvest isn't done. We don't reap the harvest in the storehouse. We reap the harvest in the field. The work is done out in the world. And we have to know and recognize that our role as believers is to go out from the storehouse into the world and reap that harvest. I mentioned in uh, an email that I sent out this week in a post on Facebook that as Christians, we must go out into the front lines of our neighborhoods and share the truth of the gospel because the harvest is ready. Like Christ, we must look around and see the people around us as sheep without a shepherd. 
They are harassed and helpless. They need the truth. They need the hope. They need to know that they have that compassion or that his compassion is available to them. And we know that we must go out and share that truth with everyone that we interact with. Now, listen, I understand that it's not easy. I know that this presents challenges and could even uh, present risk uh, in, in its own situation, especially given where we are in the world. But it's in times like these, when we might be unsure of how to do something, of how to approach it, that we have to look to Christ. And he is the perfect example of how we handle these kinds of situations that when it might require something more of us, we look to Christ who gave everything. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 14 where Jesus feeds the 5,000 and says that, you know, he had uh, gone to a secluded place to be by himself. And then as he came ashore, the people saw him and they surrounded him. And from morning until evening, he ministers to them. He heals their sick. And so after hours upon hours of ministering to these people and it's evening time, the disciples recognize that these people are going to be hungry and they say, Jesus, we need to send these people out. But instead of sending them away again, Jesus demonstrates his compassion. He had healed their sick all day and he demonstrates his compassion again by feeding them just with a few small uh, fish and some loaves. He feeds 5,000 men, probably 20,000 people. And there were 12 basketfuls left over. But I think the lesson for us as we talk about giving uh, and showing compassion or being uh, that, that beacon of hope in a difficult situation, the lesson that we get is when we look at the beginning of Matthew 14. You see, at the beginning of Matthew 14, John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin, was executed. And Jesus had just learned about John's death. And in this moment, he wants to pull away. He wants to go find some place to be alone by himself where he can grieve. He is experiencing the pain of the loss of a loved one. This was his cousin. This was the man that baptized him. This was a man that was sent by God to go before him and prepare the way. And Jesus wants to take a moment to grieve. But in that place where he wants to grieve, he is over, he's, he's overrun and inundated by the crowds. And in that place, he has compassion on them. He puts his own desires, his own uh, physical needs, his own emotional needs aside, and he meets the needs of the people around him. The message and call for us is that in the midst of our own difficult circumstance, that God has a purpose for us. He has a purpose for you right now, right where you are, to deliver the message of hope, to be that beacon of hope to someone in your own world and sphere of influence. He will and can use you wherever you are in this moment. Is it going to be easy? No, I, I can certainly let you know that. And, uh, but it is through the power of his spirit and only through the power of his spirit that we can do that because we know that this kind of sacrifice doesn't come natural to us, but we are called to make it. We are called to be like Christ. Possibly my favorite passage in scripture about being like Christ is in Philippians chapter two. It says this in the, in the first 11 verses, it says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, through, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being, 
becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So this is a challenge. Paul writes in in this letter to the Philippians that if we are in Christ, if we have been united in him, if we have uh, personally received any comfort, if we have been uh, confronted and received his compassion and grace, then in that we must be united by his spirit. We must have that same mind. And it's not that I have my own mind and and you come to my opinion or I come to your opinion. Rather, together we have the mind of Christ and we show his love to the world around us. We know that that is our role and we must be united in having and showing and sharing the love and life that only come from Christ. He says, do not think out of selfish ambition. Do not put yourself above anyone else rather to set our own interests aside and to think about the interests of others. And it says that Jesus being in the very nature of God did not consider that equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. The message to us as believers is that we don't take our position as believers, as those who have received that gift of salvation. We don't take it as to our own benefit. Rather, what do we do? How can we use that to the benefit of others? We see them as lost and not even knowing it. We see them as harassed and helpless. We see them as in need of a savior and we sacrifice of ourselves and we go out into their life to make a difference. We go out into their life to, to proclaim the truth of who Jesus says, you see, he humbled himself. He became a servant. He went from being the king of kings. He went from, you know, being praised for all of eternity to being born in a stable, to being despised and rejected by men. He emptied himself of self. And this is the call that each of us must follow in. We must empty ourselves of self. Just like Jesus looked at John and said, you will now take care of Mary. He's looking to us and says, you must now take care of the world. And the way that we do that is we must be Jesus with skin on. We fulfill the role that he came to do in this world. We fulfill it on his behalf and through his spirit. We must be willing to do what Jesus did. Our position in Christ is not used for our own benefit, but for the world's. We must have the same mindset that he has, not just in a few relationships, but in all relationships. We must be Jesus to those that we interact with every single day. Now, why do we do this? Well, it's because we have eternal hope. It's because he has given his life for us. And because he has given his life for us, our response must be to surrender our lives to him, to obey him, to go where he calls us to go. We have to remember that just like when Jesus looked down and he saw Mary and had compassion on her and wanted her needs to be met, he looked on us in that same way. And he looked on your neighbor. He looked on your spouse. He looked on your children. He looked on your grandparents. He looked on your coworker. He looked on every single person that has ever lived and will ever live in this earth with that same level of love, that same level of compassion. He gave himself for them and calls us to do the same. He calls us to go out and work in this harvest. So as we think about where we are, the message that we receive today is that each of us have been given the compassion and love of God. And it would be my prayer that we respond to that. Maybe you've never received that gift of salvation. Maybe you've never been encountered by the compassion 
that Jesus has, has given all of us, the fact that he has surrendered his own life and died on the cross. I would invite you now to look at your own life. If you're, if you're overrun with doubt or anxiety or concern, are you pursuing the things of the world or are you pursuing the things of God? If you want to walk in hope, not that your life will be free of challenges. He says that there will be mountains, but he will turn those mountains into pathways. I would encourage you to invite Jesus into your heart. Let him come into your life. Let him uh, wash your sins away with his blood and let him give you that peace that he wants you to walk in. And then I challenge you that if you have received it or you do receive it, that you would go out and share that same message of hope with those around you. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your son. I thank you for the compassion that you have shown on us, that you have provided not only for our physical needs, God, but for our spiritual needs. Father, if there is anyone here uh, listening this morning that has never received that gift of salvation, God, that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to them, that they would feel their heart beating heavily, God, and they would be drawn to you. Let them be confronted with your truth and your hope. And Father, let them express their need for forgiveness. If that is you, I just invite you to join with me in prayer and just acknowledge your need for for salvation. Dear Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know that I have done things that do not please you. I ask you to forgive me for those. I know that you have come into this world. You lived a perfect life and you died on the cross for my sins. I ask you to wash those sins away by your blood to forgive me of those things that I have done that don't align with your heart or your will that don't please you, God. Forgive me of those sins. Come into my life. Make me your child. God, teach me how to be your child and to live after you every day. Help me to pursue your kingdom and your righteousness and everything. Help me to walk with hope despite the circumstance around me and help me to fulfill the call that you have on my life to share this hope with others around me. For those that prayed that prayer, God, we thank you. And for those that just need to pray a prayer of, of just rededication or acknowledging their own condition, I invite you to pray with me also. Lord, I have received that hope of salvation, God, but I struggle with anxiety or I struggle with doubt. I struggle with worry. Help me to see your compassion, God. Help me to uh, recognize that as I pursue you, instead of the things of the world, that those things that you will meet my need. Forgive me for pursuing those things instead of you. Forgive me for walking with doubt and not realizing that you have provided for everything, for my eternity and for my earthly needs. I thank you for your great love and compassion, God. And I ask that you help me to live out that love and compassion in front of others so that they might be drawn to you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I thank you for uh, joining with us today. I hope that as you have heard this message about Jesus's compassion, that you would walk in that compassion every single day, that the people you interact with every day would get to know that Jesus is your savior and that they would be drawn to him because of the hope that just exudes from you that if they are lost and they don't know it, that they realize it because you have been found and they are encouraged to go to the savior as you have. Thank you and God bless.